Hello, and welcome back to the Customer Conversations podcast. I'm co-host Sean Boyce and one of the founders of LearnWhy. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Michael Callahan, who is the Vice President of E-Commerce and Transformation for Matex and Zenith Home Corp. Michael started his career in large CPG companies and has worked on national brands like Mr. Coffee, Crock-Pot, and Tfall. Over the past 15 years, Michael has been transforming organizations to think consumer and digital first. He believes that the key to running any successful e-commerce business is full organizational integration. The words he lives by are work hard and stay humble. Hello, Michael. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Really love the podcast and, uh, and happy to be here and excited to, uh, to talk today. Likewise. And we're excited to talk about our topic because we know you have a lot of experience in it. So we're happy to pick your brain about it. However, before we kind of dive into that, if you would, please give the audience a little bit more information about your background and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing today. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny. I have a, a kind of weird way about how I fell into this into this e-commerce thing. Um, I actually started out my career in the, in the music business. I, um, I worked in New York in, uh, in radio on morning shows uh, to start off and then transitioned into the, the record label side of the music industry, um, probably back in, in around 2008. And at that time, like um, music pirating was really starting to become a large thing. And I, and I saw this kind of weird digital, but nobody knew what it was thing happening. Um, these are the days of like LimeWire, right? Um, when iTunes was still 99 cents. And uh, I went to my manager at the time. and was like, hey, I don't know what this digital thing is, but I kind of want to explore and it became this pet project. And um, that was kind of like the beginning of, of it all. And, um, you know, I, I stayed in that music company for a few years and really built up what then was kind of like a digital arm. And at that point, it was really about adding value to the consumer. And then I, I took the jump over to a completely different industry and uh, joined a company called Newell, Newell Brands, which um, is you know large household brands like Mr. Coffee and Crockpot that you talked about. And there I really started building um, my e-commerce you know kind of practice. And it was you know traditional story, large CPG company, really knows how to do brick and mortar really well. But this e-commerce thing, like we don't know about it. Can you help us figure it out? Um, and that was really the beginning of focusing on a lot of the transformational work around organizations too, um, and really worked with them to create full kind of integrated strategy into e-commerce. What does that look like? Content, who should we be focusing on? And did that for a bunch of years, and then took the leap uh, and, and uh, worked with this company called Group Set that very similar situation, um, large cookware brands, um, didn't know really how to do e-commerce, and, and then um, I kind of came in. But in that role is where kind of where there was a shift happening, um, where the consumer was now starting to have a bigger voice. Um, and about a year and a half into that role of managing the e-commerce team, I went to the CEO at the time and said, "Something's happening with this consumer. Um, the consumer is getting more powerful than ever. I think that we have all these different silos of e-commerce and brick and mortar and." and marketing and trade marketing. And I said, um, we need to break it down and create this consumer experience team. And, uh, and I started leading that up. And really, basically that was a fully integrated team that touched the consumer during every touch point on their journey, whether it was online or offline. Um, and that's how I really started getting into kind of the marketing and the ad spend of um, kind of evening out my background. And did that for a bunch of years. And then 
um, about a year and a half ago, I really wanted more understanding of like the manufacturing side of the business. Um, and I, I took a uh, role with Maytech Zenith, um, who's a large manufacturer and private label brands for kind of home and bath. Um, and here, what we're really focusing on is um, trying to even lose the word e-commerce and just focus on commerce in general, whether it's online or offline. So, um, you know, hopefully today we'll talk a little bit about that and how do we really start looking at um, more of a consumer lens, true omnichannel, what does that look like, um, and kind of break down some of the myths and, and the learnings that I, I kind of gathered along the way and, uh, and some of my failures too. Sounds like an excellent background. I'm sure it seems we're definitely talking to the right person about the topic that we want to talk about today. Uh, I like that approach of thinking about it simply in terms of commerce. And that's definitely one of the things we want to talk about. So uh, without further ado, I'll introduce our topic here. And that's, we wanted to talk about what it means and how you go about adding a e-commerce presence if you are a significant brand, right? You may not have started that way, but that may be where you're going. And as such, there is a lot to understand there. Yeah. About how you about how you go about doing it. I know you have experience here. So if you could give us a little bit more background there as well, too. I know you've done this a few times and talk a little bit about what it means to have the right, you know, to build a digital strategy in preparation for adding uh, an e-commerce presence to a major brand. Totally. Um, so, you know, I've done it, you know, I always say like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to rebuild this thing from, or build this from, from the ground up, but I, that's kind of my shtick. But, um, you know, I've learned what to do and what not to do. And what I would say what to do at, at the basic level is, you know, you'll have, you'll, everybody will want to have the e-commerce person, right? Like they hear that they need an e-commerce role. So they'll bring in a director, they'll bring in a VP and you'll sit down with the other VPs and the CEO and, or whoever, you know, the, your, your bosses, and they'll say, give me a five-year roadmap. And that's the, I mean, I don't work in five years. We work in 18 months and we work in 18 months and we have to pivot a lot. And I think that's where you have to really start. You know, um, you have to take an assessment of internally first of where are people in kind of their, you know, digital evolution um, because the consumer is there, right? It may change depending on the category or the brand, um, but the consumer is there. The question is, is the organization there? And is the organization there to put the, the time, the money, the resources, the, um, you know, the upskilling into it um, to really build out long-term success? So, you know, I would say if you're coming into a company, as, more, as, so, as important it is to look at the landscape of the brand and where are you and where are you placed, equally as important is taking a really big dive and seeing what the temperature is of the organization to see, are you guys ready for this? Because this is not something that is going to change overnight. It's a slow burn e-commerce, right? It's messy. It, it, you know, it, it, it looks very glamorous from the, <laughs> from the outside, but when you get into it, it is a highly tactical business um, that needs full integration into the organization. So I would say start with internal, internal temperature checks and, and kind of understanding um, where the landscape is internally first. I'm glad you mentioned that last part because I feel like oftentimes people might think about this project, uh, you know, over like basically romanticize it in terms of 
this is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. And all that may be true, but there's a lot of hard work set out in front of you. And like you said, it's very tactical. So that leads me next into kind of what I wanted to ask about as well also, which is, can you talk about everything else that needs to happen as part of taking such a big step like this, right? Like managing managing the necessary organizational change, right? Because it's, it's improper, I would say, to think about e-commerce as simply a bolt-on, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot more than has to happen. Totally fair. Yeah. Um, I've managed e-commerce businesses that were a bolt-on. And um, when you look at a list of priorities from a product manager or a salesperson and they have their, their pad out of things to do when it's a bolt-on, e-commerce is on the list. So that's awesome. But <laughs> it's usually like the 10th or the 11th thing that they're going to get to, right? Um, so when we look at like full integration and, and what does that, that look like? Listen, I'm fully well aware that in many larger organizations, e-commerce is still grossly underpenetrated from a total online to offline business. I'm, I'm aware of that. So when we're on our soapbox and we're asking for resources and for people and for money, um, you know, there's a little bit of internal selling that has to happen. But, you know, I think what is important to kind of lay out is um, always coming back to the consumer and where is the consumer and how are they shopping, right? And driving the impact of not every sale that was influenced by digital is going to end on digital. Right, so some of those sales may impact that started on digital or awareness started on digital may impact brick and mortar. Um, so looking at it from a true omni-channel lens. So when you're building out these, you know, I I'm totally into work streams. It's like people get annoyed by me, but you have to build out what are the different work streams that you want to create to look at your the success of the business. E-commerce is not just about putting pretty pictures on a page and getting some good reviews and driving traffic to it, right? That'll, that'll get you the sale, but once that sale happens, the back end to process all of that, that's where a nightmare can happen, right? If you're not set up for success. So when I look at the business, I say, okay, how am I working with the finance team? How am I working with the supply chain team? How am I working with um, you know, the sales arm of the organization? And making sure that we're creating these work streams and everybody's kind of aware of what the North Star that we're trying to get to. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a big, big, big believer in like kind of small testing and learning, right? So, you know, lay out that 18-month strategy, but start small. Start where your feet are. Start saying, okay, we're going to accomplish this. Then go work on it behind the scenes. Come back. Hey, these are the results. Oh, awesome. You I said, well, now we're going to do this. And then you slowly start building up a not only, um, you know, kind of authority within the space um, and kind of accountability within the organization. But, you know, now more people are starting to get engaged. More people are responsible kind of along the way for the overall growth of ecom. Um, so, you know, I think sometimes you have to be your biggest cheerleader in this business and in, in, in this sector of the business, right? In order to kind of gain the visibility and the, and the, and the resources and the, and the funding that you need to kind of drive the strategy. One of the things you mentioned as part of that response that I'll call even more attention to as well too is, right, we talked about that, right, managing that change, but you also described it as a sale that begins digital 
might wind up being brick and mortar and perhaps vice versa. Yeah. I think it's really important to think about. I think that's often uh, missed from time to time is they can influence each other and realistically they should complement each other. So that lends itself very nicely into where I was going to go next, which is, can you talk a little bit about like how you ensure that your offline and your online strategies complement one another as part of doing this work? Totally. So I think that's, it comes back to the, this idea of like breaking down silos and building out when you, when you, when you're building out teams. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, if we take, say, Walmart, for example, right? Big online presence, big offline presence. Um, the team that's working on Walmart should care just about the Walmart shopper, right? And we should build out teams that are caring about where, how do we get that Walmart shopper um, to convert in the most convenient way, right? And it's not about having the e-commerce team or the brick and mortar team. It's about having the Walmart team. And then there's disciplines within that Walmart team that could help support online or help support offline. Right. And when you create those teams and those teams are both um, metric on the same KPIs, there is no more of this, Hey, I'm trying to drive online and I'm trying to drive offline. And then there's competition. Right. Um, it's all about the shopper at the end of the day and how we're getting them to convert in the in the most convenient way, right? The, we have to also understand that and put our own consumer hat on. It's like the path to purchase, it's messy, right? We're influenced by so many different things now, right? So I may have seen an ad on Instagram and then went on to walmart.com and then bought on Walmart brick and mortar, but, you know, and it's, it's, it's not this linear path anymore. So what our responsibility is as manufacturers, as salespeople, as, as, as marketers is every step on that path to purchase, we have to keep our, our message concise, consistent, and take out the friction for the consumer. You know, you'll hear me talking about that all the time, right? Back in the day, it used to be like, how do we mitigate the amount of clicks it takes for a consumer to get into cart? Now it's about the friction. So I'll give you an example, buy online, pick up in store, right? Um, you know, it's a, it's a growing part of the business. Obviously it's been even further growing during the, the, the impact of, you know, COVID and everything like that, but it's not going away. So how do we make sure that that consumer has a great experience online when they go in store and are able to pick up their goods that maybe we help increase their basket ring on other items within the store um, so that's what I'm talking about is, is taking away that friction. We've all had shopping experiences where, you know what, we just abandoned the cart either, either like physically or virtually because it just took too much in order to check out. Right. Um, so a lot of that is just, you know, coming back to internally building out these teams that are hyper-focused on the, the customer, the consumer, and then just have areas of disciplines within Kind of their work streams. Yeah, you've mentioned a few things that definitely reminds me of situations in which I've done both myself personally in terms of a, when I think cart abandonment, I almost think exclusively e-commerce, but I've done the same physically in store as well too for various reasons. So you're right. And uh, those can have a lot of overlap with one another. You've mentioned a few times that focus should be on the consumer, right? Where is the consumer buying? How do we remove friction from the consumer's experience? And I think that 
when we're talking about how the two strategies online and offline should complement each other, a great example is that of what you just mentioned, right? Buy online and pick up in store. There you are getting a compliment from, you, you are hopefully going to be getting a complimentary experience between the two where it's seamless and it works well for the consumer or as you put it, right, removing that friction. So great way to describe it. And uh, obviously it's easy to tell how the two should complement each other whenever possible. Uh, so next what I wanted to ask you about as well too is this is a whole topic of it in itself, but I'd love to get your impression and how you, how one would go about thinking about this, if this is part of the equation, but how do you ultimately determine whether or not to offer D to C? Like if you want to go direct to the consumer, uh, what does that process look like? Um, and I'd love to hear, you know, uh, you thinking through those steps as far as, you know, it being a part of the strategy. You know, it's so funny through the past 15 years, it's the, the one question I can't get away from, right? Should we, shouldn't we go to you to see? And I think that will, um, you know, kind of be the age old question. You know, I've worked for brands where I said, we need a DTC presence. And then I've worked for brands that said, you know, why, why are we doing this? I think you have to kind of listen. This is my, so one of my, my, you know, passions is kind of digital native brands, right? So brands that have started out really selling on Instagram and, and kind of other verticals. And, uh, you know, we can take the Caspers of the world, the Warby Parkers, the Aways and, and, um, and Harry's. And you think about these brands that started out as digitally native brands, you know, built in a, a strong reputation online, um, spent a lot of money acquiring consumers uh, digitally. But at some point on their journey, they realized that they needed a brick and mortar presence, right? So Harry's partnered with Target. Um, you know, Warby Parker opened up their own stores. Away opened up their own stores. At some point, in order to drive scale and volume, you really do need a brick and mortar. The challenge that we're having, right, is in this landscape of traditional brick and mortar today, um, those are closing rapidly, right? So then it leaves the brand and the manufacturer saying, oh, what do I do? If I, if, you know, 50% of my business is tied up into these three retailers that are just closing, what's going to happen to those, those sales? Is Amazon just going to cannibalize it? Is Walmart? What if I don't sell to Walmart, you know? Um, so then we ask ourselves, do we go direct? I think you, for me, it's, you really have to take it, um, category by category, what kind of business you're running, um, and realize just like e-commerce is not a bolt on to any organization, direct to consumer is not a bolt on to any organization. If you're going to run a direct to consumer business, you have to realize it is like running a full retail business, right? Um, and there is marketing that has to go into that. There is shifts in the way you ship. There is, you know, resource and times, and you're going to get beaten down from your, 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 your retailer saying, why are you competing against me, right? Like, these are conversations that I've had to have throughout my career. At the end of the day, what my recommendation would be to manufacturers is, no one is going to own or care about your brand more than you do. And at some point, you know, in the next five years, we are going to have to take a step back and saying, and say, where do I want my brand to be? Who's going to be left? You know, a lot of people say that, you know, retail is dead. And 
you know, there's that great quote that says like retail is not dead, but mediocre retail is dead, right? And retail is going to become much more experiential, right? In the way that consumers shop, what they expect, like people still enjoy going to a store, but it has to be different for them, right? Um, the thing that e-commerce lacks is it's still very transactional, right? Um, especially when we're looking at larger price point items. It's very like, I know what I want, I'm going in, I'm getting it, you know, online. And it's very hard to really curate. Some have done it better than others. Um, but what I would say is from a direct-to-consumer piece of it, um, you know, it if you're going to do it, do it right. Um, don't try to build, you know, the, the team out internally. Like somebody that manages an e-commerce business for, you know, big box retail and Amazon, like it, it truly is a different skill set than someone that's managing a direct-to-consumer business. And I think that's another thing, you know, when we started these e-commerce roles 10, 15 years ago, even more, you know, the e-commerce person and me included had to wear multiple hats and had to do a bunch of different things. And, you know, what we've kind of started to do over the past couple of years is, again, create those areas of disciplines within e-commerce, right? So I have my paid search team. I have my replenishment team. I have my forecast team, right? And you can't expect, like, that one e-commerce person, like those weirdos in the, in the corner, like, you can't expect them to know how to do everything, right? So you have to bring in the resources behind it. Um, and then you have to say, okay, how much am I willing to invest in consumer acquisition within this D2C business? Yes, it's a highly profitable business um, if you can do it right direct to consumer, but it's also that, that cost per consumer acquisition can get very high really quickly if you are competing against larger national retailers, retailers that are also um, trying to win for your brand as well. I think one of the most important like, consensus I would take away from how you've described and kind of walk through the intricate details of answering that particular question is that don't oversimplify it, right? When you're, when you're going into this, there's a lot to consider, as in you might think that this is going to be a dramatically simpler approach, but instead it puts a lot more back on you. Now you've got to build out a lot of this infrastructure in order to be able to do it as well too. So to really think about that before you you know, decide if this is going to be something that makes sense for us long-term. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think, you know, we have to squash this mentality of like, you know, oh, well, let's test it online and see, you know, how it does and then see if we could, you know, offer it to, to brick and mortar. Like, no, guys, that's not the goal here, right? Like, the goal here is, is the consumer engaged in this product? And is this something that they are willing to, buy and pay for. Um, and, you know, that is the beauty of direct-to-consumer, right? We can throw something up there and, and, and quickly throw some ad units behind it and dollars and see, like, is this product, you know, something that we want to get behind? But it shouldn't be through the lens of, like, hey, can we eventually get it into brick and mortar, right? Like, right. that's what many people are thinking. Um, I have very successful, you know, categories that are online-only categories, right? And that's what we also have to think about as well. You know, Back in the day, retailers wanted every single thing on their website because they wanted to compete with Amazon. And today what we're learning is it's all about curation. It's all about if I'm shipping to, you know, X, Y, and Z retailer, who is that consumer at that retailer? How do I curate my assortment around them? 
um, and kind of help them kind of narrow it down, right? Because what we've created over the years is this idea of like this sea of sameness. Like, you know, when you're selling a, a white t-shirt online, there's 30,000 white t-shirts. How do I find what the best white, white t-shirt is, right? So when you're looking at it through, whether it's a direct-to-consumer lens or an e-commerce lens, like you may have categories that are just online and I hate to break it to you, that's okay. Like that's okay if it's if some categories are just online. Um, and so that's something that I think has to be also, and it's getting better, but um, some, some of the mentality that has to be broken around using e-commerce as a strict testing ground just to get into brick and mortar. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing your perspective, Michael. I know that will help a lot of people think through a lot of these things, which are certainly not easy. So your experience means a lot there. And we appreciate you being here and sharing that with us. But before we let you go, we have a couple yep. questions. The Go first ahead. is, what resources, if any, would you share with our audience where they can go to learn more about what we talked about or anything else, uh, realistically, in your yeah, world? Yeah, absolutely. So listen, um, in this in this truly virtual world that we're living in now, um, you know, I, I, I read the big stuff, you know, uh, Digital 360 Commerce is always a, a great resource for me that I go to. Um, you know, with their, um, the Digital Shelf Institute, that, which just launched um, probably about a year ago, um, I'm, I'm, I'm part of that. Um, it's a great resource. You can find that on LinkedIn. Um, it's called the Digital, Short, Digital Shelf Institute. And it's just a lot of um, great like thought leaders and, and white pages on, on you know, how to look at e-commerce, whether you're a, a legacy brand or a brand that's just starting. Um, and, you know, I also just, you know, as much as I'm in kind of a, an e-commerce person, um, I do... I do know that there's an, a, a large need to understand like the offline world. So, you know, my biggest thing is as a, you know, manufacturer, nothing excites me more than going into a store on a Saturday and, and, and standing in the aisle where my products are sold and just watching the consumer and seeing like, what is the, what are they looking at? What's important to them? Right. Um, talking to them, you know, I think this, uh, this art of like, asking the consumer, like you have them right in front of your product, talk to them, right? Um, see, see why they picked the, the competitor over yours and, and get those learnings. Um, and so those are some of the kind of the things that, that get me excited. Um, you know, I think the digital playbook is a, is a, is a great read if you have, um, if you have the chance to, to pick that up. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it is just testing and learning internally. You know, I say to my team all the time, it's like, we have to be in constant beta and we have to, we have to be able to pivot and be flexible really quickly. And, you know, a lot of, um, you know, in, in my time of, of coming up in e-commerce, a lot of it was self-taught. Um, there wasn't a lot of people to look to. So now the people that I'm bringing into my organization, um, you know, they've kind of grown up in this world of e-commerce. So, you know, sometimes the best learnings are from the people that sit right next to you, right? So ask for all consumers at the end of the day, um, and, and kind of, and kind of look at the resources around you too. There's some excellent resources. Thank you for sharing, Michael. Um, I'm particularly fond of the observing consumer behavior in real time component. Done a fair bit of that myself. It's absolutely fascinating and I love interacting with people, catching them in the moment. Uh, it's amazing what you can learn. So huge advocate of that as well too. Right. Um, and then a last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? 
Yeah, so anybody reach out to me um, on LinkedIn, Michael G. Callahan, um, and I'd be more than happy to, uh, to, talk, to talk through it. Um, if you want to email me, you could email me at michaelc at matex.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for providing that, Michael. We'll link all of it to the show, in the show notes. And thank you for being here and sharing your experience and knowledge yeah. with myself and our audience. Absolutely. I hope everybody, uh, you know, learns how to integrate everything into the organization and uh, wish them success. You too, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. The Customer Conversations podcast is brought to you by the team at LearnWhy. LearnWhy integrates with all of your customer-facing tools to organize feedback and extract actionable insights. Empower your team to start growing your bottom line today with insights from qualitative data powered by LearnWhy. You can find out more at either learnwhy.co or by emailing our team at sales at learnwhy.co. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Customer Conversations podcast. If you or someone you know has expertise in growth, marketing, or product, please have them reach out to either Sean or Stuart to learn more about becoming a guest on our show. Our team can be reached by email at support at learnwhy.com.